Well, I've got in my uh, pocket uh, something that a couple of you guys uh, might, uh, might want. And a $100 bill. Does anyone want this $100 bill? Be, be serious. Raise your hand if you want this, me to give you this $100 bill. Okay? <laughs> All right. How about now? Does anyone want this $100 bill? Becca, you want it, right? I know you do, yeah. Yeah, she was ready to come up. $100 bill. So you want this even like this. How about? How about now? Does anyone want the $100 bill? Pam's still saying yes. I see that. A lot of sures. What, what do we learn from that tiny little exercise? We, we learn that this bill, it was really nice, Bill. This bill has not lost its worth. No matter how wrinkled it was, no matter how dirty it got under my shoe. In fact, I, I, I can, I, I've learned that if, if there's like 50.1% of the bill left, it's still worth $100, which is an interesting thing. Because our value is not measured on the things that we too often see it. So, so our worth, so many times in our life, we see that our worth is only based on maybe our looks or, or on how much money we have or, or the things we can do. But when we just proved that this has not lost any value at all, and how much more valuable are you in God's eyes no matter what happens in your life, no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what's happening currently, or no matter what's happening in the future. And all too often, we, 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 we get to this point in our life and we start saying, I am not good enough. From God's point of view, you're not good enough. But when you have God in your life, when you have Jesus Christ as your foundation, your value is, is priceless. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go into uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Once again, we have three more weeks where we're going to be digging into it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're kind of coming into that conclusion right now. Pastor Dave's going to be bringing forth the word uh, the last verses of chapter 11, we're going to take one week hiatus from Hebrews, and then we're going to come back and finish with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 uh, on September 9th. Uh, and, and this has been a phenomenal sermon series from my vantage point. In fact, as pastors, we went around and, and we rated our favorite sermon series that we've been able to, to preach at this point. And, and, and the... Uh, some pastors were saying uh, the, uh, uh, what, what was that of the sins? Uh, the seven deadly sins. Some really enjoyed digging into that. Uh, some talked about the, the solace and, and digging into that. This is what I highlighted as, as maybe my favorite sermon series that we've done so far uh, because we have covered so much ground in Scripture in such a short amount of time because we've brought in all these different characters of faith. 
and we've really told the story of the gospel in really uh, dynamic ways, at least from my vantage point. So we're going to go into the 11th chapter of, of the book of Hebrews, and, and if you want to turn there, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those Bibles. As I was preparing this message, I, I started thinking about these passages that we're about to read. And I thought about these passages, and you see it on top, Hebrews 11, 35b through 38. These are heavy passages. These talk about some heavy-duty stuff that has happened to, to believers, that has happened to people that trust in Jesus Christ. And I thought, do I really understand what these people went through. Do I really understand it? Is, is, do I care what they went through? And we oftentimes gloss over it, and we just read it as a matter of fact. I wonder if, if my whole focus in this life is about myself. That's what I started thinking about. Am I just worried about uh, what's going on in Phil's life? Am I worried and focused about uh, paying bills? Hey, I got $100 towards it. Am I worried about sports or music or, or stuff? And do I ever just stop and think? No, just really stop and think, really meditate on who God is. I like what it says in Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Sherry and I were doing an exercise uh, for our life the other day of just stopping and thinking about things that need to be accomplished, things that we need to do. Uh, when you have kids going every direction, that's part of that process is stopping and thinking. And I remember I was about 10 minutes into it, and I said, huh, really stopping and doing nothing and thinking is hard. And I started pondering even more about stopping and thinking about my Savior. Whatever is true. What's true? Jesus Christ is true. Am I stopping and just thinking about his almightiness, his perfectness, his loveliness? Whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable, those are the things I'm supposed to think about. And yet I, I spend time watching news, whether it's real or fake, or spending time on Facebook or any other social media, watching Netflix, all of those things can fill my mind with all kinds of information, all kinds of things, but not necessarily honorable. Focus on what is pure. What is pure? You know, with today's technology, we have so many battles with potential pornography, 
and, and things that, that we don't want our eyes to be involved with. And, and Steve and I, we were talking about accountability the other day, and it was a great conversation to talk about whatever is pure. So, so today, anyone who wants, just write it in your friendship registry, and, and we'll take care of one year's worth of, of an app called Accountable uh, to You. Okay, if you're interested in being accountable uh, with your pastor and your pastor being accountable with you, just write in your friendship registry, I'm interested, and we'll take care of one year's worth of that uh, professional uh, software that works for your phones, works for your computers. Because we are to ponder on what is pure, what is lovely, what is true. We need to uh, focus on, on those lovely things of people. Too often we're cynical. We're, we're looking at people and we're like, huh, I can't believe they wear that. I can't believe that person said that down the road. Instead of just looking at them and seeing the beauty that, they, that God has created, the loveliness of who they are as a creation of God, it's too easy to be cynical. We need to focus more on, on encouraging them. We need to praise Jesus, friends. From our lips, we need to praise Jesus. That's why we pause and think about our Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can have time and, and thought about praising him, about praising Jesus. We need to adequately praise the king. And, and I'm up here all the time. Uh, Sherry and I were talking about an issue going on in our life, and she goes, um, so I know you're praying about it, and I, I stopped her and I said, I'm not. Total transparency. I hadn't even been praying about an issue that, that was going on in our lives where I was genuinely reaching out to God and praising his name, no matter the outcome. As Jacob said many years ago, we praise him when we win, we praise him when we lose. It doesn't matter. We praise Jesus. And that's what we do with our lips. Even in tough times. Even in tough times. That's what we're going to read today in Hebrews 11. Even in the toughest times, our job is to praise the king. Praise the king. Hebrews chapter 11, 35b through 38. We read the first part of 35 last week, uh, talking about the resurrection uh, that the women uh, got to see in their, in their children. Today we're going to start in that second part. Hebrews 11:35b through 38. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Heavenly Father, we pray that you can affect us uh, with these words uh, that you wrote, that you inspired. We pray that we can honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the scripture quickly, kind of 
kind of see if we can understand the bigger picture of, of what the author was trying to say and maybe uh, even point to the people that he was kind of talking about. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll see, and, and maybe we can work out a definition of um, how you and I could be worthy to be called the child of God. Because that's a heavy thing to be called. It's a tremendous thing to be called, the child of God. And these are tough words uh, to read in Hebrews. The author knew his audience. He understood his audience. And he knew that they were good Jews who would be educated. And, and, and at least a majority of them, they would hear these stories. They would, they would be able to connect the dots of who the author was talking about. Sometimes we forget about who the author is talking about. But most likely, the Hebrews uh, would have been able to know them. Uh, in fact, some of them might have even watched Stephen being stoned. They might, have, they might have been there. Or perhaps they even saw the beatings of Jesus. Or even the crucifixion. We don't know. Throughout history of faith, people who have faith in the one true God have seen um, heartache. They've seen trouble coming their way. We saw it right at the very beginning with Cain and Abel, right in the very beginning of this uh, sermon series, where, where Cain killed Abel because Abel had a more acceptable gift to God. He was more pure in his offering because he had faith in God. And we saw it right away, the, the killing of, of somebody because of their faith, whether it was jealousy, whether it was uh, spirit-filled, uh, going against them, whatever it might have been. We, when we stand for the king, we can be sure uh, that there's going to be a target on our back. And maybe not from uh, somebody every single day. We see it in different forms, even in the United States, that you might see in another country. The first part of the verses uh, says that some were tortured, refusing to accept release. People were put through unthinkable pain and suffering. And their only job was to deny, to renounce their faith in God. I mean, these people would be put in stretching machines where they'd be spread out in all four directions. And then they'd be beat with clubs by multiple men at the same time until they either renounced God or they died. As I was studying for this message, I read too many things about the tortures that Christians have gone through, about the things that they have suffered. And I thought to myself, just, just renounce God. Why aren't they renouncing God to save their own life? Why, why aren't they just throwing in the towel saying, okay, I don't want to die, or I don't want to see my kid boiled alive? I don't want that. Okay, okay, I don't believe in God. Do you know why they didn't? It says it in the next part of that verse. So that they might rise again to a better life. 
You talk about eternal focus. Do we have that? We always get in that conversation. Oh, yeah. Someone came in here and said, I'm going to kill you unless you renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do, you can walk right out this church. If you don't, I'm killing you right here. We say in our mind, I, I bet most of you are like me. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm not renouncing Christ. I'm standing firm in Christ. But, but then you, you, you start ripping away all the just talk that you have, and you start getting down to your heart, and you say, is that what I truly believe? Am I willing to? to die because of my faith, even if it doesn't make sense. Because my logic, I'm, I'm kind of a, a logic thinker. I start thinking, okay, well, no, I'm going to go after him and try to beat him, and, and, and I'll try to save myself. If I die, I die. As opposed to just accepting the, the murder so I can be at a better place when my eyes are open. To be absent from the body is to be present with our Lord. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, my whole life is about Jesus Christ. And when you start with that foundation, and that's what Dylan was proclaiming in his baptism. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about the crazy things going on in your life. It's not about... Uh, those bills you can't pay. It's not about that manager that's a jerk. It's not about uh, even, it's not about your spouse. It's about Jesus Christ. That's what our life is about. And when we rest in that, when we, when we focus in on that, that's going back to that meditation on God. How we could release so much stuff because we're handing it to Christ. We're still going to have the pain. These people still went through torture and, and uh, excruciating pain. Many of them lived through it and then had to live with that pain for years. Next uh, Just read that again, so that they might rise again to a better life. It's just so moving, that little statement. It, it's that focus on the unseen, isn't it? Focus on the unseen. Right back to the very beginning of Hebrews 11. Uh, the unseen, celebrating that. Our life has one purpose. One major purpose. Our purpose is to fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon, brilliant man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here's what one author put. Paul says that he wants nothing more than to know Christ 
and be found in him to have his righteousness and to live by faith in him, even if it meant suffering and dying. Paul's purpose was knowing Christ, having a righteousness obtained through faith in him and living in fellowship with him, even when that brought on suffering. Even if it meant suffering. The mocking the other people put upon us, uh, the, the, the laughter or the snickering when they look at you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We get so caught up in what uh, the old he said, she said stuff. We start sitting in on that and, and thinking about that, even in our own families. Our life is short, and our worth is not defined by all of these things. That's not what our worth is defined by. It's an issue in, that we've really caught up with in modern day. What, what, what we do is we, we start getting fixated on how many likes we get or comments or how many friends we have. We get caught up in how many birthday wishes people wish us on social media. We get caught up in numbers, and somehow we think that this measurement is a measurement of our worth, of our value. But we're wrong. We're wrong. Scripture continues and says that some people of faith were stoned to death. In my research and studying it, it happened way too often. Way too often. Some were sawn into two. You guys remember the story of Isaiah hiding in the cedar? Where he took the saw and I think it says even cut to his mouth until he lost his breath. I counted, uh, just historically speaking, of, of major Christian believers, at least a dozen that I could find were sawn in two. Some upside down sawn in two, some sawed sideways, some sawed from the top down. All, all crazy amounts of torture for their faith in Yahweh, in the great I am. Some were killed with the sword. No doubt referring to, you guys remember King Saul uh, commenting about, um, about the priests, what, what was it, 85 of them that were killed with, 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 the, uh, with the sword. Uh, Elijah commented about it. We do remember that. Uh, he commented, he said, I'm the only one left. The rest of the prophets were, were killed with the sword. He was pleading to God. These stories uh, would have been passed down cleanly and with great intensity. These Hebrews would understand. Uh, and, and again, the author's just hammering home. It's about faith. It's about faith. It's about faith. It's not what you do. It's not what you say. It's not how you look. It's not where you live. It's, it's about faith. Your faith in God. That's what it's about. What a great reminder. It's a great reminder. 
that you did not gain your worth from anything in this world. The author even says, of whom the world was not worthy. That's what he says about these people. The world wasn't even worthy of these people. We're going to get to that, how your worth is so tremendous if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. After the sword, the author talks about their clothing. He, he went in about their skins of, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. But we, if you recall in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, and John the Baptist, they all wore clothes like this, whether, whether by decision or, or not. Went around eating locusts. But many people were put in clothes like this as a shameful process, as um, a persecution, walking around unclean and disgraceful. You know, so many people measure others by what they wear. We do the same thing. We, we look at somebody and be like, wow, the, man, they look good. You know, and, and, and there's a certain sense of pride that comes with that, and you want to look good. You want to be appropriate and clean. And I mean, that's our society. We, we, we do have different clothing. Some people purchase from more expensive places. Some pe people purchase from cheaper. Some people make their own clothes. But we put so much worth on that. There's certain places you have to wear specific clothes if you're a fireman. Or, or you're a policeman, you have uniforms and that type of stuff. You have to wear appropriate clothing if you're living in Alaska or, or, or uh, the Bahamas, depending on what direction you're going in. But, but the point is, is that we put so much value and so much worth on the clothing that we have, and, and we get uh, confused that that is a measurement of worth. Even if you didn't have any clothes, we put that as a measurement of worth. You're less worthy. And that's what these people were, were doing. They were less worthy. They were persecuted. or It, it was, uh, it, it was of, of swine skins that they sometimes would wear, which was gross for them. They couldn't touch swine, let alone dead swine. And, and so all of these different things that they were putting on them were wearing is a measurement of, of, of worth. I guess it's a good segue for to get to our points today and some of you are panicking that we're going to continue on and on and on because we haven't got to any of the points but we'll get through them really quick today's august 19 2018 and and the way the the world measures our worth is how we look how much cash we have in our bank account by what we drive by our personalities by our haircut by our speech by our skills, by our abilities, but that's not, that's not how our worth is really measured. Again, what, what, what is our focus? Or what is our purpose in life? Fear God and keep his commandments? We, we want to know God intimately. That deep relationship. We, we want to have faith in the unseen. So here's our first point. 
Our worth is not defined by our address. It's not. It's not defined by our address. Too many of us believe that this matters. What your house looks like, what town you live in, and so on. Millionaires, did you know this? Millionaires live in specific locations around the world. They, they, they congregate because they think that's the location to be in. In North America, the number one place uh, to live if you're a millionaire, New York. In Europe, it's London. In Asia, it's Tokyo. Just in New York alone, there are 339,200 millionaires that live in New York. Because that's the place you have to live if you're worthy. Those, those neighborhoods where they're living, that's the place. And these people, they can build homes wherever they want, but they go there because that's where the worth is, is valued. That's where you're seen as worthy. And I'm telling you, that status may, may help, help you with something today. If you live there, you might be able to get more business. You might be able to uh, become friends with with somebody specifically to rub shoulders with and, and build a networking thing. But in the end, when we're talking about eternity, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Some of us are striving so hard to have the, the biggest house, the best house, the, the, the most glorious things within our home, when in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Eventually, every one of, uh, of those homes, every one of those uh, addresses will be nothing but ash. They'll be worthless. Secondly, second point, our worth is not defined by how others afflict us. How others afflict us. Woe is me. Woe. We cry about so many things. I can't believe the coach is saying that. I can't believe the teacher is not helping my kid more. I can't believe that my friends went out and they didn't even invite me. I can't believe that person didn't talk to me. Didn't even smile when I saw them. Charlie Williams, an elder at Sugar Grove, he, what he says, he says, pick up your ashes and move on. Pick up, or, you know, pick up your shattered pieces and move on. He's a no-nonsense guy. He says, don't worry about it. Stop dwelling on it. Focus on the things that matter in life, which is Jesus Christ, which is your life and your, and, and, and your ability to share the gospel. Your worth is not defined by how others treat you. You will have suffering. John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it says, our worth, this is the third one, our worth is not defined by how long we are alive. What do I always say? Only one life soon will pass. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. This life isn't long, friends. Some of us live longer than others. But our goal shouldn't be how long can we live. Yeah, we want to take care of ourselves and, and um, eat right and exercise, and we do that uh, for longevity. Our goal, though, should be how much we can praise our Father in heaven while living here. How often, how many times can we praise him? Can we give him the glory? Can we do that over and over and over? Then it doesn't matter how long you live. Again, we, we look at Abel. He was killed short, and yet his story gets told over and over and over. And it's not about his legacy, it's about God. It's all about God. Our worth is definitely not defined by what our attire is. That's the next point, by what our attire is. Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We must watch out for anything that draws us away from God, uh, in including the too often extreme emphasis the world places on appearances. We're, we're so concerned and overwhelmed by that. God does not want us to love the world or anything in it. And some of us, and, and I'm, usually when I'm saying these things, when I'm saying some of us, I'm talking about myself, just so you know that. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's heavy to think about. But our focus cannot be on here, this address. So and so and so and so, earth. Our address is in heaven. We are foreigners. Sojourners. Aliens. Our job is to focus in on, on serving our Father in heaven. And too often you and I fall into that idolatry uh, when, when we're coveting someone else's shoes or, or uh, their clothes or material items, what they're driving maybe. Instead of worship, uh, worshiping the creation, we need to worship the creator. So our worth is not defined by our address. It's not defined by how others afflict us, by how long we are alive, by what our attire is. And we can also conclude that our worth is not defined by our approval rating. By our approval rating. Our friend Pastor Travis uh, at the Aurora campus says that we need to live by a different honor code. By a different honor code. This is what he wrote one time. He said, we all live by a code of sorts, and we all pursue in something and look to something for approval. There is an intrinsic desire within each of us to be noticed or recognized. Think of a child trying to get your attention, and at that same desire only matures and expands. And for most people, they want to find the acceptance in the world and what it offers, or they pull back because of what the world threatens them with. We don't need the approval of others. We don't. The games we play, the jokes we tell, the dares we accept, 
only so that we will somehow get lifted up by our friends, by the people that we, are, we, we think are our friends. We'll do some sort of act or whatever, and oh, everyone's laughing with me. You know what we don't realize? That's in the public. Soon our friends walk over in the private, and they make fun of you, and they're like, man, that guy's a fool. Why does he keep doing those things? And we think we're doing it for their approval when they really, they're just laughing at us in the end. We're only fooling ourselves. So instead of trying to measure our worth with these things, I'm going to argue that the author of Hebrews is trying to say that our worth is defined by two things. This is what our, our, our worth is defined it's defined by our hope in the unseen. This is the last two points. Defined by our hope in the unseen and by our faith in the unchangeable. Read those, write those, ponder those. Our worth. Naomi de Temple, her worth is defined by those two things. By the hope that she has in the unseen and by her faith in the unchangeable. Everything is pointing toward faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8. You guys know that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the exact same. He doesn't change. He's unchangeable. His love is eternal. You and I have boundless riches in Jesus Christ. We don't need anyone or anything else in this life. We don't need it. We do need Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 8, 9 says, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Unsearchable riches in Christ. Yesterday morning, I was getting up, and, and I oftentimes go to my Amazon uh, music, and uh, I was making, making our bed, and, and I was playing uh, my uh, Christian uh, stations. They have stations in that Amazon music, and, and this song came on, and, and, and you know, uh, Tom and I have talked about this. I'm not a music guy. I appreciate what musicians do. I appreciate it. Allie, you singing today. Uh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate hearing good music. Um, but I'm often not stopped in my tracks, if you will. So I, I'm walking around the bed and, and making the bed, and I know you may be surprised I, I make the bed, but uh, I literally just stopped. And I'm like, what is that song? 
because it, it was speaking it to me. And, and, and so I go back and, and I look and it, it's a Casting Crowns new song. And, and I, I think there's only one other song that's ever done that to me and it was uh, I Can Only Imagine. Some of you guys know that song and now there's been a movie played about it. I used to dance with my kids when they were little to that song. It, it stopped me in my tracks. This song stopped me in my tracks. Here's what the second verse says. It says, all the kingdoms, this isn't scripture, but it's strong theology. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really matters, did I love the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? And then the chorus, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only name to remember. Just powerful to think about that. It's only about Jesus. That's what it's about. We'll have to do a count. How many times have I said the name Jesus today? Because that's what it's about. That's what this author is trying to make sure the, the people, the audience, the Hebrews that are listening to him, he's saying, stop. Stop trying to, to accomplish these things in life. Stop, stop, stop. It's just about Jesus. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. It's what he's already done. It's what he already is. It's about Jesus. In fact, all 66 books in the Bible, all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus or proclaiming what Jesus has done. Who is it about? Let me say it again. Who is it about? about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the only name we need to remember. And I pray that that is our desire. That we want to live with Jesus forever. To be comforted by him. To live eternally with him. To be dressed with righteousness that comes from the true king. Friends, the only approval that I need, the only approval that we need as followers of Jesus Christ is his. He is our advocate. What's going to be your legacy? What are you trying to accomplish in this life? What's your ultimate goal while living in the short life? You need to ponder these questions, friends. We need to ponder them together as a church. What's our ultimate goal? Is it to proclaim the name Jesus? Reflect on your, your relationship with the author and perfecter of your faith. 